Magnum TA here, and you're listening to Give Me Back My Pro Wrestling. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Gentlemen, welcome to Give Me Back My Pro Wrestling. I'm Dean Hill. See you at ringside. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Give Me Back My Pro Wrestling podcast. And honestly, Jared, today, you know, it's this should be a holiday, I think. You know, today we just had Greg Ganya. And we've had Steve on for Powertown and Kayla at Relativity. Y'all are the best. Thank you so much. But this right here. I mean, if the podcast were to end, you know, obviously that would be not fun, but it could, and we would have accomplished something with this because we've got Magnum TA on the show today. What do you think about that? Man, when I think about my our childhood and and getting into wrestling, I think of, you know, Jim Crockett promotions and watching, you know, some of our, our favorites at the time, we were babyface guys. So we like the Rock and Roll Express. We like the Road Warriors. We oh, like... Yeah. Magnum and Dusty Rhodes. I mean, it's <laughs> it's it's just amazing to get to talk to the, a childhood hero like this that you don't think something like this could ever happen, but but it is happening for us today. There are some things that I cannot wait to ask him. There's going to be some fun stuff. The first thing I think you'll hear in this one that you maybe didn't hear in Greg, because with Greg, honestly, when you hear Greg talk, it's like you hear Vern, you know, their voice is so similar to me. Mm. And with Magnum, his voice is just his voice. It's not Dusty's. It's not Rick's. It's Magnum. And I can't wait to talk to him just about his promos, man. Cause you know, his promos were fiery, like a Southern preacher, you know? Yeah. You know who he reminded me of? Like who, who his promos remind me of in a way? Who's that? Um, it's like, he's a baby face version of Jake, the snake Robert promos a little bit in a way. I don't know. It, it always reminded me of that. The way they look into the camera or something, not that they sounded the same, but the way they delivered them or something like, that. okay, I can see that they're, they make an eye contact with the listener. Yeah. Ton of eye contact. And like, you I, feel like they're like peering into your soul a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I just feel like, can you imagine being one of Magnum's kids and they get in trouble? Like he's got a promo on him and they're just like, sorry, dad, I'll never do that again. I promise. Cause our dad can cut a promo, you know? So, so the prerequisite of being a dad, right? Right. I think it is. I need to figure that out. Actually. I think it would help some things out with me and cash, but no, I'm just kidding. But with Magnum, you know, he obviously had that. It, it was like a stern, but strong, but passionate, but powerful. Obviously we've, you, you know, we've heard his promos a million times and there's, you know, he was standing beside Dusty who was like this, you know, cool, suave, like, I don't know, not cool. I mean, Muhammad was, Ali type promo, but very rapping kind of deal. You know, he was a Muhammad Ali. He had a rap about him almost. And with Magnum, it was smart of Magnum to just be himself because it came across as different than Dusty. Absolutely. Dusty, 
does this like this, daddy, yeah, daddy. And then Magnum is like, listen, you know, it's like super straight ahead, awesome, powerful. His tone kind of keeps at an even keel, but not monotone. You know, it, it reaches a level and it stays there, but it's like a punch to the face, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, you know, there are babyface promos that we love. Of course, the Road Warrior. Wow. You know, and, uh, you know, tell him, Hulk. Yeah, tell him, Hulk. And then Sting, of course, had a great one. His was a little more animated. Dusty, of course, but Daddy. And then, you know, those great Rock and Roll Express. I, f- I feel like kind of Ricky's is similar to Magnum's at a level. You know, Robert, Robert always talked like this. You know, yeah. Ricky, hey, tell him, Ricky. Tell him, Ricky. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> listen to you. <laughs> Look at Chucky Tennessee <laughs> skew, you know, and, I mean, but, uh, but Magnum, he just had that powerful voice. He had a good voice, you know, obviously a good promo has to have a good voice behind it. So, yeah. you know, and plus he looked cool. I mean, he was a badass, but he also looked cool. Like the ladies wanted to be with him and the men wanted to be him. And I think that's the there trick. You go. Perfect statement. Yeah, because that's the perfect way to be a good baby face, especially in the South is, you know, if you if you've got that and then you've got him, you know. So, oh, yeah. Anyway, we want to thank you all for listening to the Cousin Condry episode, to the Greg Gagne episode. We've got some Jablonski is pissed off. That's a new segment we're going to be dropping. It'll be a separate little show that we drop. It's not going to be on a different feed. It's just going to be its own thing. Little 15-minute clips about Jablonski being pissed off. We can't wait for you to hear the first one. It's going to be a lot of fun. We hope you all enjoy those. Those are there for you to enjoy. Thank you, Mike, for being a part of us and helping out the show with that. You know, but also... With Kayla, Steve, everybody at Power Town at Relativity, thank you all so much for hooking us up with Greg. And now it's leading into this one with Magnum TA. So instead of me talking, which I know y'all get probably tired of hearing me talk, let's talk to Magnum. Absolutely. All right. We'll be right back after these messages. Hey, guys, this is Wolfie D from PG-13. Check out my podcast, Live and in Color, with Wolfie D every Monday at noon. We're talking Memphis. We're talking ECW, WCW, WWF, everywhere that I've been. We even have some great guests, some Hall of Famers on the show with us. Every Monday, Live and in Color with Wolfie D. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Give Me Back My Pro Wrestling. And I can't tell you... I, I honestly can't say this with a straight f- I cannot tell you that I ever thought I would be talking to this gentleman on this show because we had a dream for this podcast, my brother and I, that we would get to talk to some wrestlers, get to talk about wrestling and have a blast. But to be able to talk to one of your childhood heroes is more than I could ever have imagined. And honestly, if this podcast were to stop tomorrow, I would be okay. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome to you, in my opinion, the United States heavyweight champion, Magnum TA. Magnum, welcome to the show, my friend. Man, what an intro. I don't know if I can follow that. (laughs) I'm sure you'll do okay. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on, sir. How are you doing today? I'm doing just great. Uh, You know, 63 years years old uh twins boy girl twins in the ninth grade in high school oh, uh fully full-time employed in the telecom industry and yeah. uh and, and this little thing called power town going on in the background so yeah you know, i've got more balls and balls in the air than a man 
of my age <laughs> and distinction <laughs> should have. <laughs> I mean, you know what? Hey, if there's anybody that can do it, it's the great Magnum TA. So, you know, <laughs> we believe in you, Magnum. We know you got this, especially about the power town, but we want to get to that in just a little bit. Cause obviously, like I said, the early eighties to the mid eighties, you were a staple to us. I mean, honestly, we felt you through the TV, you were one of those performers like Dusty Rhodes, like Ric Flair, like all the greats that you could feel through the TV. Now, we're mid-Atlantic kids. We grew up in, in southwestern Virginia, really close to Bristol in a town called Lebanon, Virginia. And we grew up on you guys. You all were our wrestling. Bob Cottle was our voice and Magnum and Dusty were our heroes. So I guess let's start with that. I, I know you had a great career before then, but let me ask you this. What is something Thing that Dusty told you at the start that you still hold on to this day? Is there something that he said to you that you always will remember? Well, I'll always remember a call that I got in the middle of the night in uh, 1984 as when I was working for Bill Watts and I was a North American heavyweight champion over there and territory was on fire. And uh, I, I get a call in the middle of the night, him introducing me to Jim Crockett. Yeah. And uh, and and uh, them laying out this blueprint for me uh, about what they envisioned and what they wanted to do with me, and the opportunity that they were going to give me that that uh, is was unheralded. I mean, the uh, the push of a lifetime, as we call it in the business. Right. And uh, and I'll, I'll never forget that moment because it uh, though I, I had been working for about a year and a half and in, in the main event mainstream, you know for for mid south, uh, having the opportunity to come to work for the Crockets and then you know and then jumping on a national platform rather than a, a regional platform was yeah. uh, something that that uh, right out of a storybook because I I graduated. High school in 1977, won state championship, and in 1985, I'm wrestling Ric Flair for the world's heavyweight title <laughs> in front of a sold-out Norfolk Scope Coliseum with yeah. both sets of grandparents up in the stands and my mom and dad. I wow. mean, what 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 fantasy novel does something like that happen in in that short period of time? Yeah. That's amazing. That's a turnaround time for sure. I mean, it almost makes me think of, you know, like, cause I'm trying to think of what I was doing at that time to, versus that. I mean, you were a man quick and I assume, you know, it, part of your raising led you to that, but what got you ready for that moment? Do you think? I, I think honestly that the foundations from amateur wrestling, yeah. which was my passion, which I lived, breathed and died from the time I was in the ninth grade through my senior year, uh, just put a, a work ethic in me and a goal setting, uh, mentality in me that, you know, had me believe that anything I set my mind to and worked hard enough for, uh, was achievable. And yeah. so when I, I mean, when I broke in the, the wrestling world, you know, into the pro wrestling ranks, I mean, my immediate goal in my mind was, not that I just wanted to figure this thing out as I wanted to be the world's heavyweight champion one day. And I mean, I, I thought this week one, <laughs> yeah. so <laughs> I had very high, I had very high ambitions for myself, 
when I didn't know, uh, you know, a wrist lock from a wristwatch. <laughs> so, it, it, but, but again, I, I had, I had come from that foundation of a yeah. kid that in the eighth grade was laying on a gym floor, couldn't do one push up, and, you know, went on to be the state champion and outstanding wrestler in the, in the state tournament in 1977. So, I mean, I believe the impossible was possible if you were willing to make the sacrifices and put in the work to, to achieve those goals. Yeah. That's a playbook right there of how you do that. You know, if you have the determination and I I don't think anybody would ever question Magnum's determination. So (laughs) Jared, I was just going to ask you, I've I've read some about the origin of your name with uh, your ring name. And uh, you know, there is the resemblance people say to Tom Selleck and the Magnum PI character. And then I, I read that, Andre actually helped you with the name, like told you to add. No, your- it was totally, totally. Yeah. Totally Andre. So, okay. So I'm, so I meet Andre the giant in 1980 again, wow. Yeah. right, right off the bat. I, I broke in in 1980, about two weeks after being in the business, Andre comes in the territory wow. and I had the biggest car. So the guy with the biggest oh, car yeah. put the giant around. So <laughs> I had that, that great big jelly fellow in the front of my old 98 diesel and uh, we and we spent a great deal of time together for two solid weeks, and I just broke in, and then I passed cross again, two a little over two years later, and I'm now in championship wrestling of Florida, and I've come light years in that two short years from where I was when I just started to yeah. what he saw of me then, and back then I, I wore. Like I had these tailor-made Hawaiian shirts that I wore, and and I had I had shorter hair, and I it still was blonde, but it was shorter than yeah. than it you know ended up being, and 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 I could see where you know you would you would see that that you know comparison, and Andre was sitting there, we were eating at a place called Fat Man's Barbecue down there <laughs> somewhere around Tampa, and at three in the morning, and he said he said you're ready you're ready for a break. And I said, what do you mean? He said, all you need is a handle. He called it like the CB handles. You need a handle, you yeah. need a name. And he yeah. came up with the Magnum TA right there sitting at breakfast. He said, you need to be Magnum TA, like Magnum PI. And I said, that sounds great. So so he was going back to New York for Vince Sr. And, and the plan was he was going up there and tell Vince about me, and they were going to bring me in wow. to oh, wow. WWF. So – Fate being as it is, they also WWE had reached out and and talked to Paul Orndorff, and he leaves Mid South un, unexpectedly, goes to New York. That, yeah. that was a top spot. Ernie Ladd was the booker. He too had been watching me because he came in and out of the Tampa territory, and and he call, he calls me again in the middle of the night. I think all big deals like that happen in the middle of the night. He yeah. said, kid, he said, I got the opportunity of a lifetime for you, Paul. You know, Paul's left with spots open and is yours if you want it. So before Andre could pull the trigger, uh, Bill's organization reached reached out to me. And, you know, I ended up going left, you know, left instead of straight north. 
And and that's how it all happened. So he comes to you, he say hello, Magnum. I'm just kidding. Sorry, <laughs> that's my Andre accent. Yeah, but that the yeah, uh, well, we won't we won't hang you for that. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so so obviously, <laughs> okay. If you had it to do over again, w- would you have gone right on that, or did you did, were you preferring the left still? Well, you know. At the time, it was the it was the correct thing to do because though Andre had given me the handles, yeah, I didn't know what to do with the handle. I didn't know right. what that meant. Okay, sure. so I'd worked, I'd been working mid card matches with uh, in in championship wrestling in Florida, predominantly in tag teams, and Scott McGee and I and Brad Armstrong and I were the global tag team champions there, like a total of four or five times together. And we were going out there having long matches every night with guys like the Royal Kangaroos and, you know, putting a lot of ring time in. So I had got a lot of experience, but working main event and then also starting a new persona that you're basically inventing from thin air was, was, you know, was the deal. So what happened, I go and, you know, I got this look and, and, and they, I got this name and they don't really know what, you know, what to do with me. And I don't really know exactly what to do to get myself where I need to be either. So for six months, they're giving me a push, but it's not like really, it's kind of floundering all over the place. One week they say, Hey, I think you should wear three piece suits. And I, so I did that (laughs) comfortable in that. And then then they said, Hey, how about, you know, more like, you know, punk rock clothes. I, you know, I tried that and that wasn't working. Right. I'm about, I've been there six months, just kind of you know, I mean, I'm having great matches with like Butch Reed and, and, and guys they've got there that are, I mean, some great talent and tagged with Jim Duggan. We were the tag team champions there for a little while, but again, wasn't really getting any real direction. So, so Ernie comes to me and says, you know, kid, this really isn't working out quite right. You know, like we were thinking, I said, Hey, you know, it's all good. And I said, I've, I've had a great time. I said, you know, I called Dusty up and Dusty said, well, he said, he said they they don't know they're not using you right, and he and Dusty knew that I rode motorcycles. I've ridden bikes since I was 17 years old, and so he said, "Go get your Harley," and he said, "I'm going to come down here and we're going to bring you in and make you the Magnum TA that like the Lone Wolf, the motorcycle you know riding this mysterious you know kind yeah. of guy." Yeah. And so, so, so I said, I said, "Oh yeah, I'm feeling that. I could, I could feel that." So. I go down and I haven't left yet. So I'm still working. And so I'm wrestling in Baton Rouge and I go down to Baton Rouge, Harley Davidson, Jim Duggan drives me down. I pick up about a brand new Harley Davidson, buy me a motorcycle jacket. And I, and I ride that to the town. Well, man, I drive that into the town all the way to matches. The people are buzzing. Everybody's going crazy. I walk into the dressing room with that leather jacket on. The whole room looks at me differently. Everything pivoted and changed that instant. And then Bill sees me in the whole get up and the deal. And I said, he said, man, that's crazy. And I said, yeah, well, I said, I'm going down to Florida. He said, oh, no, you're not going down to Florida. (laughs) So so Bill Dundee came in, took over the book, and they started letting me be me and let me, you know, develop my persona based on what I was comfortable in my own skid, which was this, this biker ish, uh, you know, kind of lone wolfish type, uh, actually 
a heel baby face kind of guy. Somebody that right. would fight from the bottom up. People could cheer for, for, but somebody was just as happy in a, you know, in a brawling match as yeah. a, you know, like a Ricky, the dragon steamboat, you know, arm drag, you know, technical kind of wrestling match. And, and I, and I was, I was very comfortable in that role. And, uh, and, but it took, again, it took six months to figure that out. So had I gone to New York without it figured out, they right. wouldn't have made the right impression then. So it was the exact right move to have gone to work for Mid-South. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. What, um, Magnum, what do you think about the, what's, how would you describe like the difference between like travel and Mid-South versus like Mid-Atlantic territories? Well, when, when I, when I first got to Mid-Atlantic before we, you know, blew the roof off the place and it, you know, went on fire, they, yeah. Mid-South was worse because we just traveled more miles. I mean, an average, an average trip was 400 miles round trip, wow. you know, 500 miles round trip wow. was, you know, not unusual either. We all lived in Alexandria, Louisiana, because we were about 200 to 250 miles away from everywhere. The only place we flew would be uh, Oklahoma City and Tulsa. We'd fly out of, uh, we, we'd fly a little commuter plane up uh, and uh, and fly that trip because it was so far. But everywhere else we drove, it was probably, you know, 3,000 mile weeks for kind of the norm. Mm, wow. And then, and, and then, and then, then when I got to, to uh, you know, the Mid Atlantic, you know, again, North Carolina, South Carolina, into Virginia. Uh, you know, it, we had some long trips, but when we had a longer trip. You know, we typically stayed over somewhere, went on to another town the next day. Whereas in mid South, we hardly ever stayed over because we, we were the next day, we were usually, you know, 250 miles in the opposite direction of where we'd started. So you couldn't, you couldn't stay over. It just, it didn't, it didn't make sense. But, um, but it, they were similar, you know, in some degree, mid South definitely longer. But then when we, we popped the territory and we started flying everywhere. The game just completely changed them because then we were going all over the country. Yeah, that to me is something that I've heard other wrestlers talk about as far as the travel. Do you think that was there more thought put behind the shows in Mid Atlantic, or do you think it was just that's how it had to be in Mid South? There was just no way around that. Yeah, I think I think it was just the t- the way it was laid out. I mean, I don't think they like took a uh, you know threw darts at a board to try to figure <laughs> out what towns to book. Because right. I mean, we we would work the same towns, you know, basically every month. I mean, it was a circuit that you were working because we were working seven day, seven days a week. But but nonetheless, it, you know, because we did we did our television taping in Shreveport and uh, at the Irish McNeil's Boys Boys Center, and yeah. you know that was not optional. And that was there just nothing was centralized about it when you're covering. You know, we're going into Texas, we're going into Houston, and, you know, a couple couple of those towns over on that side of Texas, the smaller towns, and then all the way across, I mean, the way Louisiana's laid out, uh, you know, it's demographics, so you, you, you've got to, to go where you've got enough population to draw, draw a decent house, and, and it was just spread out as all get out. 
So, I mean, you get there into Jim Crockett and you end up with Wahoo McDaniel. Wahoo is actually the first match I think I ever saw. It was him on TV, probably a late 85, early 86. And this was the first wrestling match that I remember. I remember promos a lot, you know, like Ric Flair, you, I, mean, I remember a lot of the powerful promos, but when it came down to the actual in-ring stuff, Wahoo, I think, is the first person I remember seeing and paying attention to. Talk about Wahoo. I mean, one of the toughest, right? Oh, he was a, he was a legend because I mean, see, I grew up watching Mid Atlantic too. I'm right. from Chesapeake, Virginia, yeah, and and so so those were my earliest memories of television. And my first match that I remember to this day was watching Wahoo McDaniel's and Johnny Valentine fighting for huh. the, the Silver Dollar Challenge when they had like $500 worth of silver dollars in a fishbowl. Oh, and wow. they beat yeah. each other to death. I mm-hmm. mean, it was so physical and brutal that I was like, oh my gosh, man. You know, somebody hit me like that, I'd break in a million pieces. Not yeah. knowing that I would be, you know, trading blows with this guy, you know, 10 years down the road. But, but uh, yeah, I was I was a huge fan of his. And it was a weird angle to, to, to launch, you know, in a territory with because Wahoo – was not like some dastardly heel that, right. you know, a cowardly heel or, you know, I mean, you know, he might do something and give you a cheap shot or what like that, but he just was, he was just a big, rough, rugged, tough son of a gun that everybody respected, even as the fans, whether they cheered him or they booed him. He, he never had, you know, like heat, heat, like, like a Tully Blanchard. He just wasn't that, that kind of heel. So for me to go and have the fans, you know, get behind me and and be there, and and we 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 had we had our U.S. title match inside of the steel cage in the old, uh, you know, Charlotte Coliseum, now the Bojangles, and sold out crowd, eleven thousand people, and the people were just magic. They were so into the match, and I mean, he he passed the torch to me there right in the middle of the ring with the belly to belly one two three. And, uh, you know, and it was a moment that I'll, I'll never forget because of my respect for him, what he meant to the industry, his heritage and pro football, just everything. I mean, I felt like I was out there with, you know, like probably like Hogan felt when he was out there with Andre. Yeah. 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 You are the United States heavyweight champion. The one and only. <laughs> the only. Yeah. I was telling a friend of mine the other day, I was like, you know, that title, the U.S. title, every time I see it, I think they should just call it Magnum's title, the Magnum <laughs> title. Because, I mean, I'm I tell, just, you know. I tell Luger that every time I see him. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Especially Luger. Come on, man. I guess not to get too far ahead, but, you know, they've obviously kept somewhat the lineage of that United States title on up into the WWE. I'm not sure where it deviates or if it even does deviate. I know that they have a little bit of weird history on their side of, you know, like where things start and end. But to me, I mean, back then that was the title that was going to set you up basically for the world's title. I wish that there was that kind of thing now with titles, because I felt like it was just so, it was such a no brainer that it was eventual, you know, okay, now he's got the U S title. That means he's automatically number one contender for the world. That was so important. And I feel like that's something they just don't do enough of these days. No. And, and, you know, it's a different time, a different era, different audience. They've been programmed differently, but, but, you know, specifically 
when the NWA was what it was. Uh, yeah, that title was automatically, instantly, you became the U.S. champion. You were considered the number one challenger for the world's heavyweight title. End of story. I mean, that's that's what that title meant. I mean, so, you know, Wahoo had it, and Roddy Piper had it, Ricky Steamboat had it, you know, Jimmy Snuka had it. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Sure, and, yeah. And that, was, that wasn't like, you know, say the Mid Atlantic title or the you know, right? I can't right. can't think of other 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 titles, but I don't think WWE ever got their Intercontinental title to mean to to their world's title what the U.S. title meant, and then NWA to the world's heavyweight title. I totally agree with that. Absolutely. Welcome to the Monster Movie Stomp Down, where twice a month we review monster movies from all corners of the planet. Join me, Sludge. And I was, went to watch it the other night, and she's like, why are you watching this? You can quote this movie line for line. And that's very accurate. My co-host, Mark. Don't ask me to, to do a stomp down on this, because it's zero. <laughs> okay, <laughs> dude. Ruben, what's your stomp down rate? And our brother from Texas, Ruben. It, it, it's just, I'm like, wait a minute. They tricked me into watching this. <laughs> yeah, that's what, that's what I felt like. I'm like. As we give you the history, our review, and the stomp-down rating of some of the best and worst monster movies around. Available through the Podbean app, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Amazon. Make sure and check us out on Facebook and Instagram. If you're a pro wrestling fan, there's something for everyone at the Cheap Heat TV Podcast Network. From the Pro Wrestling Discussion Show, Cheap Heat TV Live, to the Interview Show, the Jackson Interaction Podcast with the king of all wrestling media, Gene Jackson. To the silliness of the Whitey Jenkins Show and the brand new Zip, Xander's Irresistible Podcast with Charles Anders. You can check them all out and much more over at CheapHeatTVLive.com. Magnum, I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there. One of the greatest matches. I, I don't remember it from when I was young. I was four at the time, but, uh, after, watch, after watching it, <laughs> there's after no watching excuse. Back, yeah, after, after watching it back, your, I quit match with Tully Blanchard at Starcade 85 has got to be one of the greatest matches I've ever watched. And people look at that card and it had dusty and flair. And the, I quit match is the one that people remember. You all had such chemistry in the ring and it, and it was worked perfectly with you, the baby face and him, the heel and, just, just talk a little bit about that match. Well, Tully and I had known each other since almost since I broke in. I, I went to work for his dad, Joe, six months into business, and we met there. And and you know, I, I and I was you know really young and really green, but I remember him telling me that you know he never wanted to be anything but the best heel in in the in the world. He wanted to be the best heel. He didn't say the best champion. He wanted to be the best heel. He was never one of those guys that had some inner side of him that, you know, secretly wanted to get the cheers. He wanted the booze. <laughs> he wanted to be hated. He wanted yeah. to be that nasty, you know, that nasty guy that everybody wanted to see him get his butt kicked. Yeah. And, and so when, when we got the opportunity after I had gone and, and, and really, you know, honed my skills and, and gotten ready to, to perform on that level, uh, we were instantly, you know, attracted to the idea of what we could do together and and you know kind of yeah and i know he petitioned for it because uh he knew that there was a huge opportunity and that i quit match was the end of an eight month feud 
you know, yeah. eight months. Yeah. And, and to, you know, and so telling a story week in, week out, battles up, down, every which way you could possibly be. I mean, so, I mean, I win the title from, from uh, Wahoo in the, in the Coliseum in Charlotte. Uh, I defend against Tully who had baby doll come down to the ring dressed as a police officer, slip him a roll of quarters. He knocks me out when the referee doesn't see it. Quarters go everywhere and he gets, and he gets the title. And we fought week in, week out, seven days a week, eight months straight, you know, all the things we did in between till we got to down to that, that match. And we, we had so many epic matches. I'll be honest with you. Had they, had they had cameras everywhere we went, I would just about bet you that we had matches in arenas for, for fans somewhere that equaled that or were even way better. Wow. 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 <laughs> I just got chills. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just to know that, you know. So I know that during this time there was the I quit match at Starcade and stuff like that, but also and there's a rumor that's come about later on in the more modern era that Dusty was actually talking about the possibility of there being a movie about you or movie with you. Do yeah. you remember have you heard talk of this? I'm sure you have, but Oh, he was we had we had visions of things that nobody nobody knew anything about obviously but i mean yeah he'd written a screenplay with a yeah. whole with a movie for me to be riding my motorcycle cross country on this adventure and i was going to have this animated conscience named gus a little yeah. mouse that would appear <laughs> like on my shoulder and 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 gus would be kind of like like you kind of like the devil on your shoulder, not really an angel. And, uh, and he had written a whole screenplay. He had yeah. a whole story, had a whole thing. And, and because the wrestling thing as, as we were doing it, then as grand as it was, was not even remotely the, the end game of where, where dusty wanted to go and right. what he believed that I could do with him. Yeah. Was there even a rumor of that maybe Sylvester Stallone playing you or were you going to play you? No, this was before my accident. Now, no, this is me being in the movie. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. yeah this, this wasn't a story about my life. This was a story. This was a Cecil B. DeMille's moment of Dusty's wanting <laughs> us to go to Hollywood. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. That makes sense. So, you know, another thing that best of seven with Nikita, I feel like, in a way, you know, beyond the years, you know, a lot of people have kind of gotten negative on Nikita a little, whether it was the Russian accent that he kept going or things like that. But honestly, we thought Nikita was a monster. We thought of Nikita in such reverence. Now, I've met Nikita later on. Great man. Really, just mm -hmm. really pleasant, nice man to meet. He has a strong faith. And to me, you know, meeting him, it was just like this monster, but he was a real man, you know, but but you guys also had some great chemistry. So great. And so it, it, it it's, so you're really fortunate when anybody looks back on a career, whether your career was seven years long or 37 years long to yeah. have like defining moments that people will still talk about, you know, 10, 20, 30 years down the road. And, and of course the I quit match is, is a hands down number one thing people talk about, but the second to it, is definitely the best of seven series. And, and it's so special to me for a number of reasons. But first of all, it was the first time 
that I was in a program with somebody that I was the veteran. I, I was the veteran. I was the, I was the lead. I was, yeah. the, I was the general. I was the guy that everybody was looking to, to make sure that this thing was, you know, not just good, but spectacular. Yeah. And Nikita, Nikita was as far as intensity goes. And, and I was intense. Nikita was my equal in intensity as a yeah. heel. Yeah. And he was 290 pounds. I mean, big monster menacing, you know, everything, you know, he, he, he didn't have all the polish and things that, you know, somebody, you know, uh, who had been working on top for years would have, but he was so believable and his stuff was so good. Nobody ever looked at it and said, Oh, well, you know, I don't think that hurt because <laughs> it was, everything was very, very, very solid. So for me, the that body of work that I had so much responsibility in, and it was really, we had some outstanding matches in that best of seven. Some of them went 30 and 45 minutes long yeah. that, that I, I, I've got, I've got a lot of pride in that because I feel like that really proved to me and to the world that, that, uh, you know, I could, you know, it's easy to go out there and dance with somebody that's an expert, but sure. if you go out with somebody that's not and make it look that good, then that's what, you know, that's what it's all about. While we're still talking about it in that case. Now we hear a lot, you know, I listen to Ric Flair's podcast and Ric Flair talks about, okay, I called this match or, you know, I let this person call. Now I don't think Rick let many people call matches, but in that regard, who's calling that match between you and, well, I, and I, I let all those, I let all those matches. Yeah. I figured I mean, so. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, we, I mean, and don't get me wrong. We didn't have to talk that much, but if the tempo was going wrong, if yeah. something, if, you know, if, if, if I need to be in a certain place at a certain time or, or he need to get more heat or, or whatever, you know, I was making sure that that chemistry and that story was being told. And, yeah. and it wasn't like the day of, you know, laying out a match like these guys do today. I mean, we were doing this improvisationally on the fly every night. We never had a, never had a plan out, outside of what the outcome was. There wasn't anything talked about prior to us going out there and doing it. So that's right. what made it even more special because, again, that was the craft and the art of it. Uh, back then, it wasn't, you know, a high spot, you know, fiasco of, <laughs> you know, yeah, 5,000 right. things happening that, that at the end of the day, everybody just gets up and walks off like, yeah. you know, they got hit by a butterfly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, seriously. Yeah. So, so you know, again, it was it was that that kind of thing. And. That's where I felt like I had I had learned enough of the lessons I need to learn to be able to go out there and do that with, with pretty much anybody. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I know that a lot of people see like Dusty Rhodes, Ric Flair, the Four Horsemen, everybody back in that time cutting a great promo. I feel like sometimes you get overlooked, but you had such a fiery promo and – I feel like it could always be maybe intimidating being around like Flair or Dusty giving a promo. How did you, how did you get past that? Or was it just, were you just comfortable with it? And, and I, was, uh, I was comfortable with, with, with my delivery and, and, and felt, you know, I mean, I felt very good about it. I mean, you wouldn't ever go out there with, you know, when Dusty and I were tag teaming, you'd be stupid to go right. out there and try to out, out Dusty Dusty. I mean, yeah. that's just, you know, I mean, it's one thing, 
when when yeah, heels cutting a promo and then you're coming back and you're you know giving a response, you know obviously you can let it fly then. But when you're out there sharing a mic with you know Dusty Rhodes, who arguably is the greatest the greatest wrestling promo in the history of the business, uh, yeah. then then you've got to you've got to uh, stay in your lane and do what's complementary to it and and get and have your believability be on par with what his is, but you don't try to out, uh, you know, out talk him. I mean, I, I can say things that would mess him up and, and, I, and, I, and I didn't do it on purpose, but I would do it because, because he, I just knew it would make him think, you know, because yeah. he was always like that. I remember one time coming out, we're on deep TBS and I said something about there's, you know, there's a lot of variables and in this circumstance, he looked at me and said, what are variables? <laughs> variables. <laughs> like, you know, it was like, it, it, it was fun. And, and Dusty and I were just such great friends that, uh, yeah, the, those, those times were all just fun to me. You know, I mean, I wasn't out there trying to be in a contest. Like I said, I, right. I know my work in the ring combined with, the fact that, you know, I said what I meant and I did what I said I was going to do when I got in there was, uh, you know, w- was telling the story I wanted to tell. Yeah. On, a, on a little bit of a lighter note, I remember there was a, a tag team, the James boys, that was feuding with the Midnight Express. Did they ever find out who those guys were? No, I think I think they're they're out in Colorado somewhere, still riding, running rough, roughshod and, uh, and have yet to be found. <laughs> I've looked for interviews and podcasts about them and I, you know, it's just like, they really went totally under the radar. It was just, you know, they were there. They, and then they they, you know, well, you know, they're, they're lucky that, that, uh, they probably did ride off in the sunset because had they, had they resumed their reign of terror, uh, it could have changed the whole wrestling landscape because they played by a different set of rules. They did. Absolutely. They did. Absolutely. You know, speaking of those guys, and then, yeah, of course, you were talking about Dusty there. Talk about those awesome fur coats. I'm just saying. Oh, <laughs> those yeah. were amazing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> did you know, didn't well, really fit your gimmick totally, but it did, too. You know, does that make well, sense? Well, you know, it was just, it was just like, so... Yeah, we, we were all in Vegas and yeah. and 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 Flair's running around being Flair and and, <laughs> and 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 we were all being the boys and Dusty and I, you know, happened to like stroll by this fur shop, Ray yeah. Lenoble Furs, and, and there's pictures in there of 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 all these pro boxers uh, that he made coats for and Liberace and I mean just the list goes on and on. And yeah. Dusty said, You know what? He said, we ought to just go in here, get fixed up, and just shut that flare up, first and foremost. <laughs> <laughs> and so we go in, and I think there was a little alcohol involved. And sure. then the next thing I know, that these Furrier guys have flown from 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 Vegas to Charlotte, North Carolina, to fit us for these coats they're making for us. <laughs> <laughs> That oh by the way cost seventy two hundred dollars a piece in nineteen eighty five, which was a whole lot of money back then. Oh yes, <laughs> absolutely, yeah, yeah. It, but but uh, but they were they were a they were unique, and it's so funny seeing them on the internet because I, I mean I 
thing that meme so funny is uh, you may be cool, but you're not. You're not yeah. just cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what I was gonna say because it's honestly so true. I, I just it takes a certain kind of man. I'm just going to say it, and I'm not sure I'm that man. Takes a certain kind of man to pull off a fur coat and still believe that he could knock your teeth out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, so you, well, we you come it. from that John Wayne mentality. Of, sure. You know? Yeah. Hey, I love it. And our father is a big John Wayne fan, so obviously we were raised on the Searchers and the Rio Bravo. Yeah, Bravo yeah. You know, yeah. 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 Those are great. True grit. So, Oh, true grit. <laughs> Cannot fail. Rooster Cogburn. Yeah, those are great. We love yeah, them. You know, okay. So obviously Jared talked about the fiery promos and stuff like that. And, you know, it, it, it seems like today where everything is so scripted and planned out for the guys that it doesn't really seem that they get the opportunity to really show that they can give those kinds of promos, even if they have the ability or not, what could they do today to allow for that to happen? I mean, if you were a guy coming up today, would you just try to do it the same way or? I don't know. I I, I really don't know. I think, I think triple H is giving some of those that that he knows have that kind of ability, uh, some leeway a little bit yeah. to yeah. okay to you know I mean like you know Edge can obviously you know oh yeah totally can 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 can, can deliver uh, you know like like none other you know and and uh, and Randy Orton you know same thing I mean there there's guys there that 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 have those skill sets. I understand why they control the narrative the way they do, or they control the things that they do. Cause I right. understand enough about production now and, and things of why it's so important that they know what's going to happen because right. what they do with their product is like, like I went down and watched a, a taping that they did in, in North Carolina a couple of years ago. And, and I watched it, and it was just, uh, it was like, you know, it's like I watched a C, what I would have called a C show back in the day. Yeah. And I came home and watched it on TV because it was being shown that night. And okay. what I saw on TV was 100% different than what I had witnessed in the arena because of the camera angles, the things that they captured, the zoom-ins where they got expressions on people's faces and stuff. And so – They've made an art form out of they're they're making a movie yeah, that they then okay. turn into a product. They come up and and they do it great. It doesn't translate the same watching it live as yeah. it does when it comes across. And that's where they make their bread and butter. Where we were the exact opposite. TV right. was was the advertising tool to get people to come into the arenas to pay their money to to you know to to get the the uh, fruits of our labor you know, yeah. in the arenas and now it's all turned around. So I get why they did what they did, but somehow marrying up the skill set so so guys can find, you know, a, a character that they're comfortable in and that they can make their own and and certainly can't turn them loose to just go do something, especially on live television, that right. could, you know, mess up your sponsors and this and that. I mean so many things could go wrong. I can't even count. You know, if you right. had if you had no earthly idea, but to that point, like I was calling a match with with Jim Ross back in the day for WCW, oh, and yeah. and they did and they didn't do things like they do today. They were they just went out and had these matches, and it was a match with with all I remember was Sting, 
the Steiners, and I don't know if Luger was in it or not, but st- they did a spot, and the Steiners were out on the floor, and it was Rick, and he was backed all the way up to the barricade, and Sting ran and jumped from the middle of the ring, cleared the top rope probably by four or five feet, and went all the way to the floor where Steiner caught him and took a bump. And it was the most spe- it was like watching Michael Jordan or something, the athleticism, what took place or anything, and the director missed the whole shot. Oh, yeah. Because he did because he didn't know what was gonna happen. Right. Right? I mean, right. because I was watching this saying, Oh my gosh, I mean I just witnessed something that that you know, I'm selling like a million bucks that nobody got to see if you weren't in the arena. Right. And when right. you're so when you're talking about 10,000 people seeing it or 10 million people seeing it, you know, that's kind of a no brainer that you want to make sure that the 10 million see what they're supposed to see. Sure. TV ratings, commercials, ads, you know, all that. So 1987, that was your year, right? That was going to be, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's all pretty much well known and assumed that you were with the rocket on your back, literally going to go and have the title. Am I correct about that? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And I mean, you know, we've heard about your accident. You know, it happened. Obviously, things happen that alter our lives. But we like to play a little bit of what if, you know. We knew that Flair kept the title for a long time because Flair was willing to travel to Japan, Puerto Rico, you know, Texas. He was willing to work the entire territory or the entire United States, as it were, with that title. I mean, obviously you being focused on Mid-Atlantic and, and Jim Crockett really at that time, but would you have also just taken on that mantle and gone with it like he did? Well, see, it was a different game. So there's yeah. a couple of dynamics that the general public doesn't really see. And I think Rick's actually forgot because I've heard him talk about it sometimes. Yeah. So, so the 10 pounds of gold, which was to me the last real true world's heavyweight title. Oh yeah. Was the NWA, was the NWA belt. Okay. Right. Right. When the Crockett's, so when the big gold came about, the big gold was, didn't say NWA world's heavyweight champion. It said world's heavyweight champion. Right. Because they had to give the NWA 10% of the gate. I mean, 3%, the champion got 10%. The NWA got 3%. So 13% of your gate's gone. Right. Gotcha. Okay. So there was a, so, so when to, when it started, yes, I was just in Jim Crockett promotions. But then when we became worldwide, then all every, every country, every, I mean, every city in the United States was in our territory. You know, we're wrestling in, in Chicago one night and LA the next night, New Orleans the next night, or, you know, we were bouncing around like Super Bowls because we're going on planes. Yeah. So, the only thing that Flair had been doing was going, you know, like to New Zealand or, or, or going to, you know, Japan or, you know, he, he, as far as going out, there was no other territories by that point in time. Jim right. Crockett was the world. Okay. So, gotcha. So, so a couple of things. So then had I been carrying the mantle and, and that title for the Crockett's, they would have completely dictated everywhere I went and everything that I did. There would be no conflict of, you know, interest of, of, you know, do we let our champion go here? Do we do there? Cause they would be controlling every show the champion was on. Right. So it would be, it'd been different because 
I heard Rick say, you know, it, you know, you know, Magnum would have need to, you know, go work some of these other places and da da da. But I think he's he's forgotten. You know, it wasn't like you know he wasn't going to all those places anymore either. In that yeah. in, in back back in in eighty six, he was up until eighty five. But when the, that thing changed, he wasn't going all over the world anymore. He was going where where Jimmy booked him. You know, gotcha. It, it was okay. a, it, it, it was a different game because we we ran we ran all the little guys out of business. You know? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 they could they couldn't compete, and uh, you know the, the and I was supposed to go to Japan in February of of eighty uh, seven. Anyway, I was going with the Crockett stuff. Uh, again, they weren't just letting Magnum be gone anywhere for right for right. two weeks or two days, let alone two weeks. <laughs> to go yeah. somewhere and, and have everything, uh, you know, in limbo. So we were taking a tour over there as a company. Yeah. 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 That's cool. That's cool. I just feel like, you know, we actually have a series that we do. We just recently kicked it off with the, in our opinion, how Sting and Hogan should have finished with the NWO deal. But, you know, you were on our plate of a, of a what if series, you know, and it's great. We're getting to actually do the what if with you. Do you feel like, I mean, obviously 87 would have been yours. I know that the WCW, when Turner took it over, it went into fluctuation. I don't think I would have gone to WCW. Yeah. Okay. There you I th- go. I think I think that would I think that would have been the segue. That because got you. my allegi- my allegiance was to Jimmy and Dusty. Yeah. And 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 that was that was my le- the minute the Crockett's were not it wasn't the Crockett family unless they had offered me you know some astronomical amount of money. Yeah. I mean it would have to been like I'm talking like seven to ten million dollar kind of money. Uh, I, I, they, uh, my would not been, been intrigued by somebody, you know, trying to run the wrestling business rather than somebody who was an expert in running the wrestling business, like, you know, the WWE was. Right, right. That makes total sense. And that you read my mind actually, which is awesome. So I didn't know you had that ability as well. If you're a fan of rock music, I'd really appreciate it if you took a moment to check out my podcast. It's called the Decibel Geek Podcast. We've been doing it for about 10 years now. We talk about Kiss. We talk about Ozzy. We talk about Motley Crue and Guns N' Roses and Metallica. We talk about all the legends from the 60s and on up to brand new bands that you should be hearing about today that you're not going to hear on the radio. It's Decibel Geek. Wherever you find your podcasts, you'll find us there. If you love rock and roll, I can almost guarantee you're going to love my show. In a world that has been completely divided for so long, two movie fans have decided to unite for the people and the betterment of mankind. One, an action movie buff. The other... A horror movie fanatic. Together, they will try to bridge the gap of both genres into one podcast with their battle cry. Give me back my action and horror movies. Listen along as Charlie and Nate alternate each week talking about action and horror movies they cherish, mostly from the VHS era. Also, including some modern examples that felt like the movies they grew up with by answering the battle cry. Give me back my action and horror movies. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Look them up on Facebook and Instagram. So we know you led into that. And then, of course, you know, things changed for you and and altered your life. But one thing that has also come into your life recently is Steve Rosenthal and Greg Gagne. Talk about Powertown with us a little bit. So it was a year ago, last June, I get a call from Greg Gagne, who I've known for many years and wrestled for his dad uh, in Comiskey Park against Flair, as a matter of fact, back in the day. And, uh, and he says, Hey, you know, this group of guys that I know from back in the eighties that are wrestling figures for us, you know, have, are putting together this company. They want to do blah, 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 blah. And, and, uh, would you be interested in letting us do some, you know, some, some unique wrestling memorabilia for you to license me? And I, and I listened to what they had to say and it sounded good. And I said, sure. I, I, I said, I'll, I'm on board. Yeah. So I signed up and, and so they could make a figure of me or, or whatever memorabilia stuff they wanted to do. And then Greg, you know, kept, you know, we get, you know, we, we, you know, hit it off really good on the phone. Like, it's like we, you know, had just seen each other yesterday and he was asking me questions about this guy and that guy, and then talking to me a little bit about their business plans and their model and, and I've been involved in so many business things over the last 30 years that I've accrued a little bit of background and, and knowledge myself. And I started sharing with him. And he said, I think you need to, I need to get you on the phone with Steve. And so he introduced me to Steve Rosenthal and, and, uh, you know, we started talking and, 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 it, and Steve said, you know, you got a lot, a lot of value add. I think that you have to offer, I'd like to offer you a, a, an equity position in the company and i said well and i was really flattered i didn't know really what that meant at the time but uh anyway so i so i took that role i think maybe two months after they had initially uh, called me and uh you know been helping them uh you know grow the roster but also strategize the the business plan and and uh what you know what what we're going to do with the company. And, uh, and, you know, it's, it's been a slow process because although all the principals have a tremendous amount of, of background and influence, it's still like, uh, starting up a, a, a startup company because it's something that didn't exist. I mean, Steve had been retired. All these guys that are on board, uh, have, like I said, have a wealth of, uh, you know, litany background from, what they've done to be successful in, in their prospective businesses. And, uh, but, you know, again, we just all came together as a team, you know, you know, about, you know, 14, 15 months ago. And, uh, you know, and we have finally got in a position to you know, have things launched and uh, product in the pipeline now being produced. And, uh, and we, and we've got a little over 200 people on uh, yeah. the roster to, uh, you know, pr- produce member memorabilia for yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big collector of uh, action figures, and the uh, so I've already got the Power Town Series One pre-ordered, and so I'm looking forward to that. I'm I'm amazed at how well these figures look. You know, like we've had Mattel and the AEW company Jazzwares, I think, that do the figures, and you know, to see these as a as a third company producing high quality and maybe higher quality action figures than 
than those two companies is amazing to me. And I'm really excited for that. What are, what are your, I guess, you know, Greg kind of dropped some names to us the other day. And I was just wondering, like, can you, can you drop us some names? Like who's possibly down the pipeline with, uh, that, like that maybe you've brought on to this venture. Hmm. A name I could drop. <laughs> or two or three. I've dropped, I've dropped, well, I've dropped a few. Well, I mean, you know, and I want I want there to be uh, uh, because we're going to have releases and we're going to you sure. know, be producing things and and whatnot on them. Let's just say that that you know there is going to be a a more an adequate representation of the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. Okay. And that that then there'll be some and there'll be some people that you'll have to do some research to realize what their impact was sure. on the industry. Sure. But you know, for instance, my very good friend Barry Wyndham. Oh, Barry Wyndham gosh. and his dad are a part of yeah. this. Oh um, and, wow. And, uh, and and we, you know, I, I'm not going to name all the families that we have, but we're going to do. We're going to do series on families yeah, that, okay. that have, so, so it's not just, you know, there's different approaches for this thing, but we're going to do some things that have never been done before. And yeah. we're trying to do things the right way too. We've entered into uh, an agreement with, with Dave Milliken. Who yeah. Took over nice. Re- the Reggie Parks license belts. belts. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so we're not just, you know, we're not doing this, you know, just on the fly. I mean, you know, my belt and, and, and uh, Carrie Von Eric's belt that are going to be the figures are, are, are belts that Reggie Parks created uh, himself and, and, and had those licensed. So we've done the same. We've reached out and entered into agreement with him and, and we, not just for the authenticity, but everybody that was truly a contributor in the industry uh, yeah. is due their due for just like the the, the performers. Yeah. And, and part of the reason for this is, you know, you know, of course, a business has got to be successful, uh, or it can or it benefits no one. So right. you know, we got to make a good product, and it's got to be quality, and there's got to be decent margins in there to to cover all these extra steps we're going into to, to make sure we're giving you the best product, but we're, we're trying to afford people that were never part of this new generation that never had, you know, action figures or never had memorabilia or, or didn't get the worldwide recognition that they really are due uh, because they were before cable television and uh, much less the internet uh, bring those people's stories back into um, the modern era because there's there's characters that laid the bricks in this road for this thing we now enjoy as you know wrestling entertainment that were some of the craziest characters you've ever come across in your life and and their their stories are are uh, are, are crazier than and what you could, if you were trying to dream something up, you couldn't dream these up. I mean, yeah. they, they yeah. were real. They really were real life, uh, you know, superheroes and 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 wild eccentric people. And uh, and it's intriguing, uh, you know, just just hearing all these backstories. So we want to share a lot of that, and we're trying to build a platform that allow us to do that uh, through our, our our website that we're building and and podcasts that we're doing and, and things of that nature. 
Yeah. Okay. That's great. Y'all are doing a fab- fabulous job, and I'm, you know, excited to get like Luthez and Vern Gagne and and any others that are before my time. But it's also exciting to see people in the in the '80s timeline that were really a part of my childhood and my my beginning of love of wrestling. Isn't it funny the memories? Oh, that I tell these you, things stir these things stir up. I, I tell you, it, it, the visuals that come to mind when you see these things, and it takes you right back to a time. You remember something with your family. You remember, yeah, I mean, things vividly that these that these you know associations trigger. I mean, it does it for me. I mean, I've oh, got yeah. a young my young my youngest son has just started amateur wrestling, and I've been oh, going nice. with him to wrestling practice and watching the drills and watching the expressions on his face and watching that physical you know struggle trying to learn these new things and it taken me back to a place that i forgot about you know back in the <laughs> 70s like yeah. like 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 in a time capsule and in the and the wrestling does the same thing so when people see you you know at a fan fest or convention or something and start talking about something you know it, it it's tying back their whole family roots and you know, just an amazing part of their lives that they were all, you know, intertwined in what we did to come into their homes and entertain them. Oh, completely. And that's actually what this whole show is based upon is my brother and my nostalgia and the, the fact of give me back my pro wrestling. It's not necessarily like this, you know, really hard tone that we take with that title. What we mean is, is, you know, we want to bring our wrestling back and, and share it with what we think the world would like to hear in this sense. And you are pretty much one of the examples of give me back my pro wrestling because we want the world to give us back our Magnum TA and give us back our Greg Gagne and Vern Gagne and, and Jim Crockett promotions and, and fun stuff like that. So you kind of are one of the shining examples of this podcast and what we're trying to do. So you, know, you coming on here has been a huge pleasure of ours for sure. Do you have anything coming up that you would like to tell anybody about? Well, my, my, my thrust right now is to, uh, to uh, try to to uh, collaborate with our team to uh, see what we're going to bring out next, and 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 then expound on uh, the things that we're bringing to the table, the other yeah. avenues and other things to uh, offer from the brand uh, for the people we have on board because uh, the the action figure piece of it is 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 just one element of of uh, you know what our plans are for for these uh you know these individuals that we represent and the ways we we want to retell these stories so uh we, you know we get we, we you know we we certainly got uh, just more emotional energy than i can tell you invested in uh the the just the action figure part of it but right. it, it, it take, takes a lot. It's like birthing, birthing babies times three, I think, <laughs> what it takes to, to bring this to reality. And then your stork is over there on the other side of the world, and you've got to go through all the logistical hoops <laughs> of getting it to you so that yeah. you can have it distributed. Uh, so you know, I'm not going to breathe easily until uh, this whole first series is safely in the hands of all the all the people that have, uh, you know, come, you know, already come forward and, and signed up for the pre-orders and the people yeah. that will want to fulfill orders when we, we have inventory in stock and all that kind of good stuff. When, when I see all that, that start flowing, 
not that I'm going to be able to go to sleep at the wheel, but at least I'll be able to say, okay, now we just need to repeat, repeat, repeat. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Well, I hope very soon that we'll be able to have that initial Jim Crockett match of yours with the listeners out there. I hope they'll be able to have a Magnum TA Wahoo McDaniel match in their living room. So <laughs> we, we hope. Well, if I got anything to say about it, they will. And, and Wahoo, and yes, Wahoo is on board. And yeah. and uh, uh, he, uh, there, there's nobody more beloved by me uh in the industry than than what he contributed what he did what he meant to me personally and and for for someone to be of that magnitude and and not you know be heralded more than he has been by the entire industry to me is just bizarre because it's like you're talking about baseball and not celebrating babe ruth i mean how do you how do you do that yeah. Well, well, you know, before I let you go here, when are we going to see Tessa again? Really miss watching her wrestle. She's actually one of my favorite current wrestlers. Well, well, thank you. Well, Tessa is currently uh, a full-time college student. Oh, in, awesome. In, 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 in San Antonio. So Tessa is, is not only gifted and talented and beautiful and, and, and a, an accomplished wrestler. She's got a very smart, head on those shoulders and she realizes that she needs you know an education and and some things to be able to to uh do after she doesn't sure. want to bounce around in the ring like a super Bowl. So, <laughs> so so she's uh she's she's working on uh getting her degree and yeah. and you know re- and still you know wrestling uh you know on the on the circuit on the weekends and, uh, you know, and she's just kind of taking it, taking her journey the way, you know, she wants to kind of in stride. She's not putting pressure on herself. Uh, you know, it, it's, I mean, it's such, it's such a, a commitment to, to go all in to say, you know, Hey, I'm going to, I'm ready to do this full time at whatever age it is in your life. Cause you're going to sacrifice something in doing that, whether it's your family, whether it's investing in your future education, you know, something, those sacrifices are going to be made. So the guys that can come, come through, have some kind of professional uh, training, you know, in, in, in life to, to fall back on after, after the game's over are really the smart people in the room today, because, you know, back, back when, and for, you know, and probably for about 90% of the people that have come through the world of professional wrestling, there was no plan B. Right. If, you, if they didn't, if they didn't make it in that industry, or even if they did make it, there there was no retirement plan. There was no exit strategy. There was no nothing. It was just, oh my gosh, you know, I was a superstar. I was on television. I was a celebrity, and now I'm not. And now what do I do? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and that that that's a frightful place to be without uh, somebody having taken you by the hand and guided you a little bit. And it wasn't anybody that did that in the past. I'm hoping that they have some life coaches running around there in the WWE helping uh, people prepare for the future today. But, uh, you know, back then they didn't. So, uh, so that's what Tess is doing. She's working for her future. She's happily married and, uh, I've got a got a great husband who's uh, who's also a wrestler and and an amazing athlete in and of his own right. So uh, you know we'll see. 
Yeah. Uh, she's just yeah. 20, 26 years, 26 years old. So, uh, it's crazy world, world ahead of her. <laughs> I mean, as much as I miss seeing her on TV, because I mean that when I say that she's literally one of my favorite pro wrestlers right now. So with that being said, who can blame her for that? That's a genius. And she's only 26. So like you said, she's got the world for sure. So I can't I mean, wait to she, see what's she, in front yeah, of her. You know? Yeah, Physically, she's in the best shape of her life and, and she's only going to continue to maintain that. Uh, I mean, you know, she'll, you know, graduate from college and be in better shape she's ever been and have her head screwed on even better and, uh, and, and and see, and see what the landscape looks like then, because, uh, I mean, just face it, there's, there's a, there's a great women's division at the WWE. And, uh, I mean, I always would love to see her and Charlotte. Oh yeah, you know, work a oh, match. Yes. You know? Oh yes. And, and 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 that's still you know as long as they're both uh, in good health, <laughs> that's something that you know will always be on the table uh, for the future. I'm sure if 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 they were both willing. So who's the, who's the heel in that one? Tessa is a heel. She she <laughs> she she can talk and she can smile and but she's. She's got enough of her dad's genes in her DNA yeah. that that her natural propensity, her movements, her antics, everything in the ring is a heel. Yeah, uh, she she's not a baby face. <laughs> she just yeah. I mean, she yeah. try she'll try to be, but yeah. she just that's not that's not what what she's cut out to be. Yeah, well, hey, so you hear that Charlotte Flair, Tessa is the heel. So <laughs> well, I can't wait to see that match. I feel like the inevitability of that happening was written in the stars. So Magnum, again, thank you so much for giving us your time and coming on the show. Obviously, you're welcome back anytime. If you ever want to come back on and talk more Power Town, talk a little bit about what's coming out just in the future or whatever. Obviously, the door is wide open for you. Jared, do you have anything you'd like to say before we? I just appreciate coming on and talking to us and giving us some insight to your career and what's up and coming with Powertown. Well, thank you, guys. It's really been a pleasure. Magnum, you're the best. And honestly, when I say that, you are one of our favorites of all time. Absolutely. So thank yes. you so much. Well, for Magnum TA, for the Plastic Sheet, Jared, this is Jimmy Street. You've been listening to Give Me Back My Pro Wrestling. We'll be right back. Pick your soul separately. Man, what do you think about that? We just talked to Magnum. I mean, we just talked to the United States heavyweight champion, Magnum TA, man. What do you think of that? Man, it's a, it was such an honor to talk to somebody like Magnum, such a super nice guy. Yeah. Um, all the, all the people with power town, Steve, Greg, and now Magnum, they've just been nothing but open to us and just talking to us. You know, they, they don't owe us anything, but right. they were so nice to give us their time and yeah. to give us their stories. Oh, totally. Powertownwrestling.com. Go get what you need there. The first series is out and up for pre-order right now. Whew, man, I'm excited to see all those. Now, again, Jared, you're the collector of the show, so obviously that's on you, buddy. But when I see you and I'm at your house, I'm going to be looking at these hardcore. We'll figure out how to do some kind of review, even if it's just audio where you can talk about each one or something. We'll have fun yeah. with that. But in that regard, though, you know, we talked mostly about Magnum's career. Now, Obviously, I didn't want to just like jump into the accident thing because I feel like so many people have talked about the specifics of that. And I just didn't really feel like it was necessary because that's just unfortunately something that somebody knows about Magnum, you know? So yeah. 
I thought, I thought turn it to a positive because I've heard so many times that Ron Garvin got the title run that Magnum would have had. Now, right, yeah, you know, people hated on Ron for that, and I mean, at the time it was fine. You know, we loved it because it wasn't on Flair, and even though in my teen years I began to love and appreciate Flair, and now Flair is like a, a global icon, but. At the time, I was happy that Ron Garvin beat Flair, but it was not Magnum TA, you know? Yeah. Love Ron Garvin. Hands of stone. I mean, you know, but at the same time, man, was not TA. That's all I can say. So, Yeah, I mean, with with Magnum, I always think about, and, you know, I always think about how big could Crockett have been? Would Crockett have stayed in the game? Would they have sold out to Turner? You know, what would have happened if, if Magnum had have, you know, stayed healthy and been that champion, been that answer kind of to Hulkamania a little bit that they, that they were looking for. They had the perfect heel champion with Flair and they were, they were flush with heels with the four horsemen, but they could have used that, that baby face. And they got a, a few years later with sting, Yeah, but it, it, it was already basically in the hands of, uh, Turner at that time. So, right, right. And that was interesting to hear him say that he would not have gone with Turner. So, you know what that means? Yeah. I mean, there's only a couple options. If you're not going with Turner and you're going to continue to be a professional wrestler, then you're going to go to the Indies or the, the the lower territories that really weren't, or he was going to the WWE. I mean, yeah. I mean, what could he have went to? Maybe Memphis or AWA? AWA was struggling at the time a little bit, I think. So I don't I mean he could have popped that territory. Obviously, yeah. Memphis would have been great for him. But, you know, obviously Turner taking over the NWA and then obviously or Jim Crockett, I should say. Turner taking over the Jim Crockett promotions, that left a huge gap in something that was holding the NWA together. I mean, you know, there were other places he could have gone, but obviously Mid-South was already closed by that point with the UWF. And, you know, World Class was on its last dying days. It was about to turn into USWA soon. And, you know... I mean, AWA was in its dying days. I know the Rock and Roll Express went up there a little bit after they left Crockett, but it would have been the WWF. I have no doubt in my mind that Vince yeah. would have done an amazing son. Now, would he have done it correctly? Who knows? Would Magnum have received some lame gimmick? Who knows? But I'm just thinking, you know, Hogan, I mean, Ultimate Warrior, I mean, theoretically, you could have seen Magnum come in and it could have been totally different after that, you know? So, well, Magnum could have got that warrior spot, though, too, you know? Exactly. That's what I'm leading to, basically. Yeah. Magnum could have easily had that warrior spot and then boom, 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 you know? So, like I said, I wanted to allude to a possible what if. And I mean, it might be cool if we can get old Magnum involved in that what if. Don't want to promise too much but don't want to not shoot for the stars we're shooting so far and doing okay so you know we are going to get back to topic based shows soon we've just had some amazing opportunities with interviews coming through so anybody that questions why we took a greg ganya and magnum ta interview (laughs) just just turn it off right you might be on the wrong podcast yeah (laughs) just just unfollow and yeah, it's okay. We appreciate you though. Thank you. We'll leave a five-star review on your way out. Definitely. And that leads me to this rate and review. Please give us five stars. If you think we deserve it. If you don't, don't, 
but at the same time, we definitely appreciate you for doing that. Also, follow us at GMBMPW on all these social media things. We've got some cool things dropping. We've got YouTube shorts. The Chic shorts are always there for you. So we're going to have some more of those, get those going again. We've kind of, you know, we were having some issues with copyright claims and on YouTube. And once you get so many of those, it can kind of sting you and hurt your future on YouTube. So we're playing it cool in certain areas, right, Chic? But, you know, yeah. we're going to get back on those. I think we've figured out some options that are going to help us keep the Chic shorts going. So anyway, we'll talk about that another time. But keep it up. Jablonski's pissed off that new Segment drop is going to be coming soon. Also, more shows down the pipeline. We love y'all. Sheik, we love them, right? We love you all. Thank you all for tuning in and stay with us because we hope to have more exciting things coming in the future. Yeah, and more exciting things are in the future. That's what we should say, right? Absolutely, yes. Yeah, so just keep an eye on us. You know, Keep us in your favorites, and we'll take good care of you. We promise. Thank you all so much for listening. Once again, for the Plastic Sheik Jared, for Magnum TA, This is Jimmy across the street. Thank you all for listening to give me back my pro wrestling. Don't forget fight forever with a tear in my eye. This is the greatest moment in my life. This has been a James Rock Street production.